Now, this morning we are concluding our exploration of Colossians chapter 4, um, verse 2 to verse 4. And we've been looking at uh, how God wants us to pray and what he wants us to pray for. And um, last week, morning and evening, we learned three truths about how God wants us to pray. The first truth we learned in the morning is that God wants us to pray with perseverance. And we got that just from the beginning of verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep on praying. That's how God wants you to pray in your life. Whatever you're praying for, keep on praying. In fact, sometimes I say our acronym for prayer should be PUSH. Pray until something happens. That's the first truth. Second truth, God wants us to pray with watchfulness or alertness, spiritual alertness. Verse 2 says that, doesn't it? Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it. That's the second truth we learned last Sunday evening. The third truth was that God wants us to pray with thankfulness. We are meant to come before God with thanks before we even make requests of him. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So those are the three truths we've learned so far. Today, I want us to learn the final lesson. In verse 3 to 4, verse 3 to 4 says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. These verses are teaching us that God wants us to pray for the ministry of the gospel. God wants us to pray for the ministry of the gospel. And of course, we just add, but actually finishing the prayers, really praying for the preaching of the word of God for us. That's actually what God wants us to pray for. In fact, we could say, when Paul thought of the top prayer list, uh, things we should be praying for, that's top of his priority. Pray for the ministry of the gospel in the life of the church and, of course, in your own life. Because, of course, the gospel faces many challenges as we'll see in the Word. It faces opposition within the church and outside the church. There is a story about the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Right? One day, Charles, a visitor comes to the Metropolitan Tabernacle uh, in central London where Charles Spurgeon is a preacher. And Spurgeon decides to show him around the building just to show him what the, uh, how the building is structured, etc., and how the church... Uh, organizes itself. And as Spurgeon is showing him around, Spurgeon asks him, would you like to see the powerhouse of this ministry? So the man is intrigued. The powerhouse of the ministry. So he says, yes, I'd like to see that. So Charles Spurgeon leads him into a lower auditorium and he says to him, it is here that we get our power. When I am preaching upstairs, Hundreds of my people are in this room praying for me as I preach. That story from Charles Bergen is a good illustration of the truth of this passage that we're looking at this morning. God wants us to pray for those who preach or teach the message of Christ among us and beyond. Indeed, God wants us to pray for ourselves as we share the message of Christ with people around us. Do you want the preaching on Sunday? And the teaching in Sunday school, the Bible study, the mums and tots, the youth, the women and the men's fellowship. Do you want the teaching and 
preaching in those contexts to have an impact? Well, you must pray for it. Do you want to be effective as a parent in sharing the good news with your children? With parents at the school gate? You must pray for it. Do you want to be effective in sharing the gospel in your place of work? You must pray for it. Paul believes the gospel advances through prayer. This is why he's asking the Colossians here to pray for him and others. He says this again, at the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now Paul here wants the Colossians to pray for three areas concerning the ministry of the gospel. Concerning the preaching and teaching of the good news of Jesus. But before we look at these three areas that Paul has highlighted here, which are on your outline, I want us to note something very important. There's a big assumption Paul has made as he writes these words. And we need to bear this assumption in mind as we look at these words. What is Paul assuming about these followers of Jesus as he writes verse 3 and 4? In fact, I would say it's not even an assumption. It is something that's already talked about, about them. Well, what Paul is assuming is that these Colossians care about the sharing of the gospel. He believes they are true followers of Jesus. And as true followers of Jesus, they want to see other people saved from sin and saved from the wrath of God. And we know this is not just an assumption. Paul has heard the reports about how the Colossians have been living. We read about it in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 to 8. It's worth reading it again. Just chapter 1, if you flick over, keep your fingers back on Colossians chapter 4. But just chapter 1, verse 3 to 8. It's quite important we bear this context in mind. This is what Paul says about them. He says, we always thank God. He starts his prayers with thanks. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Do you see it there? The good news of Jesus has come to the city of Colossae. These believers have been converted through it. They've been transformed by it. And what have they been doing? They have been sharing the gospel. And this is actually the same picture we see at Thessalonica. The word of God comes. It transforms them. And they are out sharing the gospel. In fact, everyone is talking about them. Their faith in the Thessalonians went everywhere. And that's reminding us something important. All true followers of Jesus share the gospel with others. It just happens automatically when you are converted. When you repent of sin and trust in Christ to save you from sin, God gives you a new heart. And this new heart comes with new affections to share Jesus with others. You have a new desire to tell other people about how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
You want others to have what you have. Indeed, you want your children, if you have, you've got kids, to have what you have. And you're laboring and praying for that. And we'll come to that in a minute. But this, this isn't in you. The early church father, John Chrysostom, said, I cannot believe in the salvation of anyone who does not work for the salvation of his neighbor. And Chrysostom is right. Well, he would be. He's John Chrysostom. <laughs> but beyond that, just when you hear the word, he's right. When we come across a lovely song, don't we? Uh, or we share it with family and friends. You're watching some TikTok videos. You, you, that's funny, right? You, you, you turn to your wife and say, this is interesting. Have a look at that. This is really interesting. You want, you want them to share that. Um, if you've got something funny on WhatsApp, you want to pass it on. Or something important, you want to pass it on to others. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. If you have never had a desire to tell other people about Jesus, surely the reason is obvious. I'm not saying we don't struggle with it. We struggle to tell the gospel. That's why we need to pray for it. But if you've never had an impulse, a drive, to, sh- to, sh- to tell others about Jesus, the reason is obvious. It's because you yourself don't truly really love Jesus. You don't really know him. It is just religion. And actually, if you're struggling in your, in your Christian life, and you have, you've got that desire for others to know Jesus, I mean, that's encouraging. Be encouraged. You know your struggles, God is still at work. But if you don't have that desire, well, the reason is that you do not think hell is a real place that is full of unspeakable torment. So you're not in a hurry to tell people around you to flee from hell. You cannot speak about the danger of sin because you have not felt it, its true weight, right? And you have not been saved from it. You don't know the joy of sins forgiven, so you are not in a rush to tell others about it. A true believer knows the joy of having their past, present, and future sins forgiven by Christ. He or she knows the joy of being saved from the wrath of God to come. And as a result, they have a desire to share Christ. And they don't just desire to do this for themselves, but they, Paul is reminding us here, they support those who preach and teach the gospel. And I would say they even take delight in them. When they hear of reports of the gospel spreading in far off lands, they take delights. When they, are, they, they take delights in them, even if they don't know the people. They are comforted that the gospel is spreading throughout the world and sinners are being transformed by it. Beloved, I just want to say before I move on, this is a real test. This is a real test. Let us examine our hearts this morning. Where are you on this? Can you see something of this drive to make Christ known? Have you ever felt it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, if you don't have it, examine yourself. Perhaps this is a thing that you need to really focus on and say, where is my love for Christ? And ask the Lord to change your heart and give you a love for the word of God. Now, in verse 3 to 4, Paul is teaching us how true followers of Christ who want to see sinners saved support those who preach or teach the good news of Jesus. Paul assumes they want to do this. Right? He assumes that. Again, that's a litmus test, another one. 
If you as a person don't support those, you don't feel driven to support them with prayers and other things, and you don't even take delight when the word of God is preached, well, again, be born again. And you may say, what do you mean, sir? Be born again. Now, according to verse 3 to 4, one of the important ways we can support those who are preaching or teaching the word of God is by praying for them. Praying for them. Three important ways, and I'll run through this quickly. Three important ways God wants us to pray for those who are preaching or teaching the gospel. First of all, God wants us to pray for opportunities. Opportunities, that's the first thing. God wants us to pray for people among us who preach and teach the word of God to have the opportunity to declare the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. The word door in the New Testament usually means opportunity. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7 to 9, Paul says this, for I do not want to see, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. He's telling the church at Corinth. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. He later wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Interesting, isn't it? Paul gives up the preaching opportunity to be with Titus. I'm sure there's a whole sermon on that. So you get the idea of the door? Opportunity, right? At the time now that Paul is writing, the door for sharing the good news of Jesus seems to have been closed. Because where is Paul? Paul is in Rome in prison. So in verse 3, Paul is saying to the Colossians, please pray for us that God will give us new opportunities to share the good news of Christ. That he would open wide the door to share Jesus. Now notice, he's not asking that he should be set free from prison. That's not his direct prayer request. And the reason for that is that Paul knows that God can give him opportunities to share Jesus even if he's in prison. And if you've been here on, on Wednesdays as Brother Frederick has been excellent at leading us through the church at Philippa, I really, I'm enjoying that as he does that. And my favorite verse so far is striving side by side for the gospel. It just rings in my ears every, every day as it were. As he's been teaching us through those excellent studies, he has reminded us, isn't it, that Paul didn't despair of his imprisonment. He, 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 God uses that opportunity to share the gospel with others. Others saw Paul being imprisoned and those even who were mocking him they ended up preaching the gospel, right? So, so we've been learning that God can use any situation for the advancement of the gospel. And that's why Paul doesn't directly ask for him to be set free from prison. Instead, Paul requests them to pray for the door for the word. And it means that they, that they should pray that God will enable Paul and the rest of the team in Rome to share the gospel of Jesus regardless of the barriers and obstacles they are facing. Whether they are still in, uh, Paul is still in chains or without chains, he wants God to move in that situation to bring about the advancement of the gospel. 
Now, this prayer request by Paul is teaching us an important truth. A very important truth. A truth which sadly, as believers, we tend to ignore quite often in churches. And the truth is this. Those who preach or teach the word of God always face many, many, many obstacles. Many, many obstacles. Painful obstacles. Paul was put in prison here, right? And praise the Lord that our government doesn't send teachers and preachers of the gospel to prison like in other countries. For now, it's not happening. People are harassed on the streets for preaching the gospel, but they're not being sent to prison. But there are many other hindrances of those who preach or teach among us first. Not just in this church, but beyond this church. There are obstacles, of course, within the churches they serve. Many people in our churches are like Felix, aren't they? They don't want to hear about sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment through Jesus Christ. They cannot endure sound doctrine. They cannot endure faithful teaching of the word of God. We are living in a time where people want their ears to be tickled. They want to be pampered in their sins. And of course, preachers face those opposition. I, I know pastors that receive regularly receive difficult emails on a Sunday. They dare not open the email box in our reformed churches. The opposition isn't simply active opposition. They also face passive opposition. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we can oppose people by not encouraging them. We need to take that quite seriously. When somebody has turned up on a Wednesday to teach the word of God and looks around that there's not many of us here, what is the person thinking? You know, honestly, what is the person thinking? They're feeling discouraged. They're feeling they have labored hard for the Lord. And this is good word from the Lord. But people are not here to support. That is passive opposition to the gospel. Because Satan is using that situation to discourage them. We must bear that in mind. I can make that point because I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching on Wednesdays, so I'm not complaining. I'm simply making an observation. There are other ways of passive observation. When we're not prepared to re- opposition, when we come to church on Sunday and we're not in our best condition to receive the word of God, that discourages the preacher heavily. There are many times when I've come up to the pulpit here and I've thought, Lord, I felt so under attack by the evil one. It is a spiritual warfare. You don't feel like getting up to preach the word. And so Brachidi's prayer for strength uh, to be enabled from preach- for preachers and those teaching is important. We've, we, 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 preachers face opposition not only within the church, they face it, uh, teachers, as we share the gospel out in the Broadway, as we, as, we, as we face many other difficult challenges. And of course, in our family life and our work life, for those that are preaching or teaching in the life of the church, but they also have other responsibilities. The devil who often attack you at your place of work to make your life difficult. In homes, uh, uh, I've seen people start preaching in the church and their home life becomes difficult. Difficult. And some, of course, give up because the devil attacks them, brings up more opposition there. Certain brings confusion. I always tell for wives that we must pray, beloved, for wives of those who are teaching, who are preaching the word of God from the pulpit. Continuously. Continuously. 
Continuously. I don't mean opposition is coming from the wives. I'm simply saying if the wife is discouraged, the preacher will be discouraged. And so they must be supported in prayer. They must be inquired of and helped. Not just here, but throughout the life of the church. God is reminding us through this passage, we have a responsibility to pray that God will help those preaching and teaching as they face obstacles. Are you praying to God to remove hindrances to those teaching us during to teaching the children at Sunday school, midweek Bible study? Are you praying for open doors for those sharing the gospel at our moms and thoughts, that they will be encouraged and strengthened, that God will open the hearts of the unbelieving parents as they come? I'm not saying uh, you, you pray for it on Sunday. Remember what prayer means to the Apostle Paul. It's continuously steadfast in prayer. It is being watchful and it's being with thanks. That's what we mean by prayer. We mean verse 2. Are you praying for them with perseverance, with watchfulness, with thankfulness. Are you praying for those who preach and teach among us not to be discouraged by the barriers they are facing? As I said, this is not a small thing. We must not be deluded to think those who preach and teach love doing it all the time. Not at all. They are often overwhelmed by it all. They are often overwhelmed. So pray that they would not feel that this is something they have to do because they must do it. No one else is doing it. I've got to teach the men because if I don't do it, no one will do it. I've got to teach the women because if I don't do it, no one will do it. I've got to be in Sunday school because I've been cornered to do it. I'm too busy in my life, so I, but I must do it because no one else would do it. Pray that the attitude shouldn't be like that. Rather, they would have this inner compulsion. And that inner compulsion, beloved, I can speak for myself, needs to be sustained by prayer. There are moments in your ministry when you start off like that. You're excited. You want to preach. There's a better in your heart. And there are seasons in your life when you're like, i got to preach another Sunday. Let us not assume these things. Let us pray. And we can pray that God will support those preaching because God is sovereign. He has power to open the doors for the gospel. And he has power to strengthen all those among us who preach and teach his word. And so let us go to him and pray for them. And let's just pray for preachers when they are preaching. Remember Brother Ola in prayer, not only when he, he preaches to us in Titus, but continuously. It's vital. Because he's studying the word of God continuously. Pray for God to shield him and protect him. My brother's had a difficult week this week, isn't it? Have you been praying for him to be sustained through that week? He needs our prayers. He needs our prayers. And Chat with him about the week the challenge is at. It is God who appoints his servant, and it is him alone who can help them. And we have a responsibility to, go to pray that God sustains his servant. So pray for opportunities, and by opportunities I understand God to remove the hindrances to enable the door to be, open, to be kept open for the word. Second thing, pray for faithfulness. God wants us to pray for faithfulness, isn't it? Paul is in prison in Rome. Because he's opposed by the Jewish religious leaders for preaching the good news of Jesus. Right? Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. But notice that phrase, mystery of Christ. We've come across it in chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
The mystery of Christ, what is it? It is simply God's plan to serve us in Christ. You see, the puzzle pieces of God's plan to serve sinners through his Messiah were laid out in the Old Testament. Right? But it was a complex picture. And in some degree they were clear, but that picture was not complete because the final piece of the jigsaw, Jesus, had not yet arrived. So they couldn't step back the prophets and make full sense of what was happening. Christ's coming is a final piece of his plan, of God's plan. It's a complete fulfillment of God's plan to save sinners. Not just Jewish sinners, but non-Jews. And that, to some degree, is a great mystery of the redemptive plan. It was well known that God had chosen Israel for himself. Uh, no one doubted that. The part of the plan what, that was so mysterious is that God also always had non-Jews in mind. And when we see it now, we look at the covenants, the blessing to Abraham, the blessing to Noah, we realize that this was always God's plan to bring Gentiles in. Now, Paul is in prison, and this is the most important point, Paul is in prison because he's preaching this very plan, God's plan to save sinners from all races and backgrounds. And he's saying it has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God the Son who was put on our human flesh to save us from sin. Christ is God reconciling the world to himself. And Paul is saying only faith in Jesus, in this Jesus who has been crucified for our sins, only faith in him delivers us from the wrath and judgment of God. The gospel reveals that Christ is God the Son who died on the cross to suffer the very wrath and judgment from God that we deserve. And he rose from death to give us new life with God. And he has ascended into heaven. And he is coming to judge the living and the dead. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Life with God is only found by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is what Paul is preaching. And this gospel of Jesus is being opposed by people. And Paul is asking the Colossians to pray that God, therefore, would help him to declare this truth boldly, not being timid, not trying to cut corners with the gospel, but he would declare the whole gospel. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul is saying to the Colossians, pray for us to keep preaching who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And what he has done to save not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. Pray that we'll be faithful, we'll be consistent, regardless of the cost, regardless of the discouragement. We need your prayers not to preach a half gospel, but the full gospel. And Paul, by those words, is reminding us, isn't he, that the aim of all preaching and teaching of the Bible is to faithfully point everyone to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where Christ is not proclaimed, no matter how good the sermon is, the gospel is not known. No matter how soothing or how comforting or how engaging the sermon may be, if Christ is not at the center of the message, there is no gospel. The focus of the gospel is not our self-esteem. It is not social justice. It's not the plight of the poor. It's not world peace. But Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. By grace and grace alone. That's the gospel. 
Now, the biggest temptation all preachers, all teachers, not just from the pulpit here, but midweek and throughout the life of the church, even when we're outside, the biggest temptation anyone who's teaching the word of God faces is that they would want the applause to be liked by the church, to be liked by the world. They want the applause to fill their churches rather than focusing on proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. So we face this temptation all the time. All the time. Everyone who teaches faces this temptation. So how do we ensure that preaching and teaching in the church stays focused on the gospel? Well, the answer according to Paul is a prayer for them to be faithful. Pray for that. The devil and the world is working flat out to make sure those who preach and teach among us shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. You have even said there's a part of you that doesn't want the truth of God preached in the church because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And so you must now pray that God will not only overcome your resistance to the gospel, but God would embolden anyone who's preaching in the church to declare the full gospel. We as a church must meet this great threat on our knees. Now, if the Apostle Paul is asking new believers at Colossae to help him to be more faithful before God by praying for him, what more are preachers and teachers in this church and other churches? There's no one alive who's like Paul. No one. So, beloved, pray that those preaching and teaching on Sundays, midweek, would renounce the deep craving inside every person to be liked. Pray that those sharing the word of God with little ones and, and believing parents at our moms and thoughts would not be tempted to dilute the gospel. That perhaps if we didn't mention much of Jesus, we'll have more parents come. Pray that that temptation would be rejected. Pray that not only should we be going out each month to share the gospel, there I say even every week in the Broadway, but when we are there, let us share the full gospel. Especially this month of June, there will be temptation not to speak about certain issues. It's a worldly liturgical calendar which is a climax in, in June. Let us be forthright in declaring the gospel, with love of course. Pray that those who are teaching would have a deep sense in our fellowship here that the gospel is not theirs to change or dilute. It is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are just caretakers. And let the pray that they do not get discouraged if it's not well received. Because it is God's word. It is up to him to shape us and change them so that they could bend their knee before the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray for these things. The thing I'm impressing on you, beloved, is that let us not assume that this church will always be faithful. In fact, we're celebrating 200 years of our anniversary this year, and as you study the church history, there have been times in this church when the church has struggled theologically. Biblical orthodoxy cannot be assumed. It must be prayed for. It must be labored for. Diligently before God. You must take that very seriously. Final thing and we'll end. God wants us to not only pray for opportunities, for faithfulness, but also for clarity.
clarity. We should pray that those preaching or teaching share the word of God clearly and plainly. It can, so that it can be understood. That's the third thing for us. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 4. Joe Bailey in his book, I Love to Tell the Story, says there is a quotation on the graffiti wall at one of the universities in Minnesota in the United States. What's, there, what's on this quotation? Well, the quotation on the wall says this. It's quite interesting. At this, it's a Christian university, and there's this quote there. Somebody has written this there. And it says this. Jesus said to them, Who do you say I am? And they replied, You are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being. The kerygma in which we find the ultimate meaning of our interpersonal relationships. And Jesus said, what? <laughs> right? Now, it's a funny joke. Well, I think it is funny anyway. Right? Because it reminds us that the point that Paul is making here, the Lord Jesus, and God, of course, himself, the Lord Jesus as God the Son, wants us to teach the word of God with clarity. He doesn't want us, when we are preaching, he's looking at us and says, what have you just said for me? What is that? They're not going to understand that. He wants the preaching to be clear so that people can come to trust in him. And so Paul prays for that, doesn't he? He asks that they pray for that. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to, the, to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is saying to the Colossians, pray that our preaching and teaching will not be gobbledygook, right? Pray that God will work in us to give us the words to speak in plain and persuasive manner and at the most appropriate time. He's saying, ask God for me to, to operate in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, so that my message will ring true and will reverberate with passion, conviction, and courage. That's what Paul means, that I may make it clear. All of those things are captured, isn't it? Paul is reminding us that there's actually a way we are meant to share the word of God with others. And one of the ways we are meant to share it is by being plain, being clear. Unless we are clear in our teaching or preaching, no one will understand us. And if no one gets us, then we have not shared the word of God. Now, to preach clearly, to preach with clarity, as Paul is asking for to be prayed for, involves three things. If you want to preach or teach the word of God with clarity, these are the three things we all need who preach and teach the word of God. First, we must understand the word of God we are teaching clearly with the help of the Holy Spirit. And only the Holy Spirit can bring to understanding the word of God. So we need God to help us to understand it clearly. Secondly, and these two are very important, we must love the people we are preaching to enough for us to want them to understand the word, even if we look like we are simple people or we don't know a lot. Our love for them must be greater than our love for self, right? We must love people enough for us to be clear to them. Love for people is vital for clarity in preaching. Think about how hard you work to be clear to your children when you're trying to teach them something. Why do you do that? 
You think about all the illustrations. You think about trying to make it get your grandchildren or your children. Because you love them, isn't it? It's a love for them. You're desperate for them to understand the truth. And when you're desperate for people to understand the truth, you, you, you reduce it to the essence of it. You want to be clear. You want everything to be removed. So love for people is key. Love for self gets in the way. Because all of us want to, to look like, wow, that's really smart why you said that. Wow, I'd never seen it like that. I don't really understand it, but the boy read the commentary very well. No, no, no. We don't want that. That's not love. That's love for self. So we want clarity. Thirdly, preaching clearly requires us to love the Lord Jesus Christ enough to die to self. To want him to shine. And not for us to shine to look how clever we are. Again, this is now. This is not something we can do in our power. We need the Lord God to work in our hearts to deepen our love for him and his people. We need God to humble us, to die to self. And to give ourselves to labor for him to be simple, clear in our preaching. So the gospel, we want to teach in such a way that the gospel is so clear that people will not only know what we are saying, but also what we are not saying. And that's not something we can do in our own power. Because remember, we want to do this without diluting the gospel. And that's why Paul is, with all his spiritual caliber, with all his gifting, is saying he needs other believers to pray for him to speak clearly. We need to let that sink in. If Paul needs God's help to the Western city to, to, to be clear, you need help when you're speaking to your unbelieving family members. To be clear. You need help when you are uh, speaking to, to, to colleagues at work about the gospel. And we desperately need it, especially in the church. Do you want the sermons you hear week in and week out to be clear? Do you want the children who are sat here to be able to follow the messages as they are being preached on a Sunday morning like this for gathered fellowship? Do you want them to hear what's being preached, in, being taught to them in Sunday school? So they come out of there really having grown in their understanding who Jesus is. Are you a person who perhaps is prone to falling asleep and wish the messages were more persuasive, more to the point to keep you awake? I think that's a desirable thing to want. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you go to the youth or women's fellowship or men's fellowship and think to yourself, that point which was made there could have been made more clearly? Again, there's nothing wrong with you thinking that. But what's the answer? What's the answer to all of those things? The answer is don't stop there. Start praying with perseverance for them. Start praying with watchfulness for them. Thank, start praying with thankfulness to them. I will even say, perhaps you come here on a Sunday morning and you think that point was made so insensitively. Is your reaction just, oh, Joel has done it again. And I'm stuck with this church. <laughs> right? I'm looking at Bexley if there's no option. I'm stuck here. I just have to come. No, beloved. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with us being honest about our hard feelings towards the preacher. But the response is, pray for them with perseverance. Don't stop praying. Watchfulness. Keep watching alert for the dangers they may be facing. Pray that they will be, pray with thankfulness, of course, for them. And remember these three things, pray with clarity for them. That they will be clear. They wouldn't be so sensitive and they wouldn't be coming up with bad jokes that doesn't glorify the Lord Jesus in any way. So, be very, this, this is what God is calling us to do. 
Before you come to midweek Bible study, spend time praying for our brother Fred that the Lord will give him clarity of speech. Pray regularly for Sunday teachers to say so that they would preach, they would teach clearly the children because the children have got difficult attention span. Only God can help the children to concentrate and only God can help the teachers to teach clearly. Plead to God for them. And don't forget those who are preaching or teaching abroad in difficult places. Missionaries that have gone to places where they're seeking, seeking to understand the language. They need our clarity. That's why we have prayer things there. We've got Sajra things, those who are teaching the military. We want whoever ministries that we know where the word of God is being preached, they need prayers for clarity. Everyone who shares the word of God, and I would say especially those speaking to the youth, as they are meeting for the youth fellowship, the teachers, or oh, they really need to, they need clarity. Because the youth will be asking now, there's difficult, difficult questions. And the teachers need to explain to them clearly without diluting the gospel, but sensitively, in love, being clear. They need prayers for that. You must, listen, you've got, I mean, this is why Paul says pray continuously, because there are many things to pray for. Many, many things in the life of the church. And that's why we meet every week to pray. Everyone who shares the word of God among us and in other churches needs the help of God to teach with faithfulness and clarity. Let me just end by sharing this story in the life of Hudson Taylor. Right? Hudson Taylor. The story is about a mission station in China. A China inland mission. And there was this mission station there where a missionary was and his work had been blessed, blessed more than others. And, you know, people looked at this, they debated within the China Inland Mission, and, and they were wondering, why was this man blessed so much when he has the same level of education as others, he has the same devotion to the Word of God as others, everything, there's no difference. All the missionaries pray, all the missionaries live a very holy life. They give themselves for the people. They have left faraway lands to share the gospel. There's no difference in ability. And Hudson Taylor himself was shocked. Because he longed for that to be replicated. And so I had to tell I was back to the UK on a speaking tour, right? And after one of the meetings, a man came up and began to ask Hudson Teller about that particular station. This man seems to know quite a lot about this mission station. And he asked him lots of questions, and the personal questions even. And then it dawned on Hudson Teller that this man knew this man who was leading that work. And it turns out that this man used to be a college roommate of the missionary many years ago. And this man had committed himself, the man who was speaking to us on Taylor, had committed himself to pray daily for the work there. Not every other day, every day he prayed for that particular mission station. And that's when Taylor said, then I knew the answer. That was the answer. That was the reason that made that particular station stand out. See, God wants us to pray for the ministry of the word of God. He wants us to pray for opportunities, for faithfulness, and for clarity. Amen.